Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. For those of you who have not been here, this is not something that we do every week, although it is something we've done for the last several weeks. Uh, And we're just trying to get into our DNA, what we believe, so that we can know why we believe it. And, uh, and so it's uh, just kind of a spiritual discipline for, for a, a couple of months, maybe. And I know it's a little bit awkward and uncomfortable, but uh, something that the Church of Jesus Christ has been doing for thousands of years. And, uh, and so we're just, we're just kind of playing around with it. It's not something we're going to do forever, but it's something we're going to do right now. So let's go ahead and just repeat with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven, and He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He will come to judge the living and the dead." I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Today as we get started, we are talking about the creed, but just as it is an encapsulation of truths that were taught by the apostles and have been taught now by the church for, for 2,000 years. And so when we recite a creed or when we confess a creed, what we are simply doing is pushing back against the things of this world, materialism, selfishness, those sorts of things. And at the same time, we are embracing another way of thinking, another way of living and behaving. And, and we are moving from a place of acceptance of truths acceptance of facts and the dissemination of information and we are moving toward behaving so we can move from mental acuity down into our heart behavior so out of the heart comes our actions and so if we simply just believe Jesus there listen there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians because they believe in Jesus but believing in Jesus is not salvation Believing Jesus and walking in accordance to Jesus' commands is salvation. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 14, which is going to be our launching place today. John chapter 14, I'm going to begin reading in verse 15. Jesus said this, because there was a lot of, well, just like today, so uh, a lot of confusion about if loving Jesus is that important, how do we know that we love Jesus enough, right? I mean, that's a big question. How do we know that we love enough? And so Jesus is actually answering that question in verse 15. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
Now, this is an incredibly important passage of Scripture because Jesus is unpacking a lot. We will not have time to go into everything about the Holy Spirit today, of course, not in our time. And even, even in this just one particular passage, we cannot unpack it entirely. But there are some things that Jesus tells us. Number one, the first thing that Jesus tells us is that if we say that we love Jesus, we're not just believing in Jesus, but we are believing Jesus, and that manifests itself by obeying Jesus. So we can kind of take the word love and the word obedience and throw them into the same definition. To love Jesus is to obey Jesus. That's the proof. I say I love Jesus... And that equals walking in accordance to his ways. And that is so important, which we will talk about why that is so important later. Not only for our own good, but ultimately for our testimony in the world today. He also tells us that that Jesus, Jesus is telling us that he is at work around us now, but there will come a time when the Holy Spirit will not just be around us, but will actually be in us. Up until this point, that had not even been discussed. You can go back into the Old Testament and you can find that the Holy Spirit is used 88 times in all of the Old Testament. Okay, 20 20 some books actually refer to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And every usage of the Holy Spirit refers to the ministry of the Holy Spirit at work around us. He is at work in nature. He is at work in our conscience. He is at work uh, in other people's words. And he, he ministers around us with circumstances. He parts waters. He brings fire. He does all sorts. He talks to even donkeys. There's lots of things that the Holy Spirit does. He's only referred to the Holy Spirit three times. For instance... In Psalm 51, I believe it is, when David is making his great confession after having an affair with Bathsheba, he asks, Lord, do not take away from me your Holy Spirit. But again, this is the working ministry of the Holy Spirit around us. So here in John chapter 14, Jesus promises not only will the Spirit come to minister around us, but He is going to come and indwell us in us forever. It's very important because we have not been able to look for that yet. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, there is the expression of the Spirit of God. You've heard me use this example before, but in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we think about God, remember, we're talking about the Trinity, and that makes sense because in Hebrew, God is plural. It's actually Elohim. Him is plural. Does that mean we believe in three gods? No, we've already talked about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. We know that that is one God, the Godhead. But God manifests as the Father, as the Son, and as the Holy Spirit in unique, different personalities. Three separate persons, one Godhead. So when it's, we know that it is the Father's plan to have a creation, to worship Him, to live in communion and fellowship with Him... And how are we going to accomplish this? Let us make man in our image. John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1 says that Jesus himself fashioned man out of the dust of the earth. It was Jesus himself who said, let there be light. Everything that exists was created directly by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
But in every account, in fact, in very beginning, in chapter 1, verse 2, it says the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. That word hovered is an incredibly important word. In our English, we probably would translate that energized or to bring to life and keep to life. The Spirit of God brought things leaping out of the water and things leaping upon the earth. And then when Jesus made man, Adam, it says that the Spirit of God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living being. So we see all three persons of the Trinity active in creation. We also see all three persons of the Trinity active in salvation. It is not the Father's will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. But there is this great gap between the Father's presence and man's presence because of Adam's rebellion against God. So I love you, God, but I'm not going to obey you. And so God cut off the spiritual part of Adam and he died spiritually that very day. And everyone who is born out of Adam is born with a sin nature, cut off from God, cannot experience life with Him. We can't even experience a conversation with Him. And so our entire existence is about getting back to that place and God begins this great process of trying to restore us back to that place of paradise of Eden where we can walk with Him in the cool of the garden in the day. And so the only way for us to be restored back to the Father, to be able to worship Him personally, is to have our sin, our carnal nature, undone. And so our sin nature has to die, and our spirit that is already dead from Adam has to be born again. So it's not the Father's will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And Jesus Christ said, I will sacrifice myself he lived the perfect, sinless life, was crucified, died, buried, resurrected, ascended back into that place of, of, of power at the right hand of the Father where He mediates for us and He advocates for us forever and ever. But when Jesus did that, He was in one place, one fixed place in one fixed time on the earth. But when Jesus took His place at the right hand of the Father, He transcended all time and all space. And we have the proof that He did that because when He returned back to the Father, He gave out to everyone who would obey Him the Holy Spirit to not just affect circumstances, perform miracles, but to actually dwell within us. And so the Father had a will, Jesus made the way, but it was the Spirit of God born in us, born of water and of Spirit. Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you're born of both, you cannot see heaven. So we experience a second birth by the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we are now able to have access to the Father, finally, through the work of Jesus Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in us. The New Testament mentions the Holy Spirit 264 times. So you go from the Old Testament 88 times, New Testament 264 times. In fact, 60 times just in the Gospels, and that was before the ascension of Jesus, which gave us the Holy Spirit. Then you have in just one book, in the book of Acts, 57 times the Holy Spirit is mentioned. In fact, sometimes it can be called the Acts 
Well, sometimes in your, your Bibles, it's called the Acts of the Disciples or the Acts of the Apostles. But sometimes we can call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit because that's who's really at work. But when the apostles were writing down their books to the churches about how to live their life out in accordance and to obey the commands of Jesus Christ, in the epistles to the early church, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 132 times. So by far the largest category is in reference to the church in how to live the life of Christ. To live for Christ apart from the Holy Spirit is impossible. The involvement of the Holy Spirit began early. Matthew chapter 1 when the, uh, the angel came to Joseph and he told Joseph, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary. Listen to this. While he thought about these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the, what? Holy Spirit. Where did Jesus come from? In Mary. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 1, verse 30, the angel said to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and over and over and over and then in verse 34 Mary said to the angel how can this be since I do not know or have not known a man and the angel answered and said to her the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you you remember in a little later when Mary leaves and goes to visit her relative Elizabeth, who is the, going to be the mother of John the Baptist, and, and don't be offended. I'm going to cut through a lot of this. Don't be offended. Elizabeth's way too old to have babies. It's a miraculous that she even got pregnant. The angel comes and says, you're going to have a baby. Zacharias didn't believe it, but anyway, she gets pregnant. It happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. Remember that? And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that, up to this point, has not been possible. But when Jesus comes near to her, even though he's in utero, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit with this anticipation. But I want you to look at this boldness. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then she spoke out with a loud voice. So notice the boldness that comes to this little old lady. I can just imagine an 80-year-old lady with this big, you know... (laughs) I'm going to stop right there and get back to this. Uh, <laughs> look at the boldness and look at this. Now listen, I, we, we pastored in Nashville, Tennessee before we moved out here to Arkansas and, and, and there was a, a, something that I learned there that I already knew, but I'd never heard it put quite this way. I had a, a lady who, uh, she, was, she was old. She, she was one of the oldest ones in church and you know that kind of made her the matriarch right and not just of our church but of the world <laughs> and she had 13 kids and they were just about every one of them in our church if you wonder why I'm so gray-headed try pastoring one family like that right but she taught me something that's why I'm in Arkansas I guess but anyway uh no I'm just kidding uh, I really am just kidding love, love you guys um, <laughs> she taught me something whenever there's conflict among families that every crow thinks hers is the blackest. And I've always, that's kind of always stuck with me and I watch mama's work and I watch how they think about their own kids and oh, I can appreciate your kids and I know that some of you love to brag on your kids and I keep my mouth closed but your kids do not compare to my kids. 
right? <laughs> Just know it. I mean, I know you're proud of them, and I know you think that they're way high advanced. Every parent thinks that, okay? Now, that's one thing for a dad to say that. Mamas get mad if you think your kid's better than her kid. All right, because every mama knows hers is the best kid. And so lots of mamas don't talk about it. But listen to the selflessness of this old woman who is way beyond childbearing, who nobody in this world should be more confident, more happy, and more arrogant than Elizabeth. And here's what she says. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, that seems to be they find two things. Boldness that they never had before. A boldness that doesn't lead to confidence. A boldness that leads to selflessness. Zacharias was the father of John the Baptist. Again, same chapter, a little later. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the result of that filling of the Holy Spirit was that Zacharias prophesied. So you begin to see this over and over, these these ministries of the Holy Spirit to those who are closest to the coming of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 2, and Luke wrote the book of Luke, obviously, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And so Luke really was heavily influenced by the Holy Spirit to teach us a lot about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 2, verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout. He was a good man. He was a godly man. This is when Jesus is coming to be circumcised there, dedicated to the Lord. This man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit to the temple that day. So you begin to see the ministry of the Holy Spirit and you take a composite view of everything that we see from Scripture and we find that the Holy Spirit brings peace. The Holy Spirit brings purpose. The Holy Spirit brings direction. The Holy Spirit brings revelation of Himself to us. Going on into Luke, Luke chapter 3, Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist. And it says, And when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while He prayed... The heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove, not a dove, like a dove upon him. Matthew chapter 3 says it even lit upon Jesus. And a voice came from heaven. The voice did not come from the dove-like creature. And it said, you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. So here at Jesus' baptism, you have all three members of the Godhead, the Trinity at work. Jesus in the water, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit like a dove lighting upon Jesus and the voice of the Father from heaven saying and giving testimony of His pleasure. And then Luke chapter 4. Boy, Luke is really popular here. Luke chapter 4, it says that Jesus was filled, this is verse 1, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, of course He was. But as a result of being filled, you go on to chapter 1, Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Listen, you cannot be led by the Spirit unless you are first filled with the Spirit. 
Jesus was filled by the, with the Spirit and then was led by the Spirit. You, you know the story. For 40 days, he's up in the wilderness. He's being tempted in every way like we are. And every time he referred Satan back to the Word of God and he overcame temptation after temptation after temptation and was able to maintain his innocence and live sinless his entire life. But it says when he returned from his temptations, this is in verse 14, He returned in the power of the Spirit. So Jesus was indwelt with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, was led by the Spirit, and returned after 40 days, strengthened in the power of the Spirit. And then in verse 16, when he walks into the temple, first place I'm probably going is to the restaurant. But Jesus doesn't. The first place Jesus goes is to the tabernacle, to the temple, right? And he goes in there and it's his turn to read. And he grabs the scroll and he reads from the book of Isaiah and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Powerful. Luke actually mentions in Luke chapter 10 verse 21 that Jesus, even when he rejoiced, he rejoiced in the Spirit. And that would make sense that Jesus gained joy from the Spirit because ultimately we know that the Holy Spirit, one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. Right? In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus claimed to cast out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that the gospel writers wants to make very, very clear to us is that every, everything that Jesus did, every emotion, every action was by the Spirit. So what I want to show you quickly is, is how the, the Trinity works together. If we're not really careful, we like to put them in a list and we say, well, ultimately, you know, there's a hierarchical structure and the top of the list is the Father and then, you know, secondary is the Son. We even call Him the second person of the Trinity. And then the third person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. So you have the Father. I mean, that's... Oh, and, and then you have Jesus. I mean, that's pretty powerful, but he's not the Father. And then you have the Holy Spirit that's at work in our lives. You know, like the little minion running around helping us out. But this, is, this, is, uh, this is, listen, get away from the list. It, we, we're not even functioning with a triangle. A lot of people want to look at the triangle, but it's more of a, of a circle. They're working together in continuity with each other. So we ultimately know that everything is by the design and the will of the Father. I mean, it's his plan. So the plan goes here. But everything works around that plan. So the Father without the Son, what good is there with a plan without a creator? What good is there to be a creator without a, a creator without... We don't want to talk about craters. That's, that's way back before the flood. So we, what's the point of having a creator without having one who energizes life and for it? So which one's more important? Exactly. They're equal. Equal to one another. Now, what I want you to understand is the ultimate goal of life. In fact, in the Westminster Catechism, this goes back hundreds of years, and because that goes back thousands of years, they reduced the chief end of man, or the goal of life, is to do one thing. In fact, they put it in these words. The chief end of man is to... Anybody know? Anybody there at Westminster? This is only 300 years old. You should know this. To, in, to enjoy, to worship God and enjoy Him forever. The chief end of man is to worship God and enjoy Him forever. It's the number one reason. It's the only reason we exist. I won't even say number one. It's the only reason we exist is to worship God. In fact, everything else exists because worship doesn't. Why do we disciple people? 
so they can worship God? Why do we try to reach the nations so that they can worship God? Because God's worthy of that. Why do we give so that we can reach the nations? Why do we reach the nations so that they can worship God? Everything revolves around worship. So the chief end of man is to give God his greatest worship, right? And so we can't reach the Father. We're separate from the Father. And before Jesus Christ, we're separate from the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so how could we possibly worship that which we do not have a relationship with? And so Jesus came to earth and He began to reveal to us the Father. In fact, He he was very much at work in the Old Testament. Any interaction between mankind and God in the Old Testament was through the Son. Every time God speaks, that's the Son. Let there be light, that's the Son. Right? He is the Creator. He is the interactor between man and the Father. And so when... Jesus in in the New Testament actually even says that He does nothing, says nothing, but that which glorifies His Father, right? Well, that would make sense if our number one goal is to glorify the Father in worship. So Jesus had one responsibility on earth, and that is to restore mankind back to the Father. And so how does He do that? Some of the disciples came to Jesus and said, Show us the Father already. We want to see that door open up so we can have a relationship with the Father. And Jesus said... If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? So now we have to go back into the Old Testament and filter every misunderstanding through the life, the nature, and the ministry of Jesus Christ. This is so little that we can possibly know about the Father because His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He is so far beyond us. For us to be able to think we could figure Him out, that is way beyond understanding. So no wonder we think that God in the Old Testament, God in the New Testament is some kind of bipolar God. He's not consistent with one another because we don't understand the Father apart from the Son. That's why it's so important for the Son to come and reveal the Father to us. And so when we look at the Son, the Son reflects the glory of the Father. But in order for that to work, Jesus had to live among us sinlessly, die among us, descend to the dead, He had to resurrect under His own power and authority. And ultimately, He had to ascend to that place where He could send the Holy Spirit to us. And so the Holy Spirit, for all of those who believe, is able to receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is in one fixed time and place now. Jesus is everywhere all at once through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that He gave. He told the disciples, it's good for you that I go because when I go, I will send a helper to you. One who will teach you in all truth. All right, so when you look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has one job, one responsibility. When you look at the Holy Spirit, you see the Son. He's constantly testifying to the Son, the truth. In fact, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so the Holy Spirit, Jesus even taught us that everything that the Spirit, the Spirit of all truth will teach you all truth. So when we look at the Spirit, all we can see is the reflection of Jesus. Right? So the Spirit testifies to who Jesus is. Oh, now I can see who Jesus is. Now I understand who Jesus is. But then when you get to know who Jesus is, you're like, oh, now I know who the Father is. Now I I understand the Father. And Jesus is the key that opens the door to the throne room. But apart from the Holy Spirit, you can't possibly know who Jesus is. Apart from the Holy Spirit, you can't possibly know who the Father is. 
There are so many Christians today who believe that they are Christians because they believe in Jesus. But Jesus makes it very clear, unless you walk by the Spirit, you can't even know who Jesus is. And if you don't know who Jesus is, you have not been reconciled back to the Father. It's one of the reasons why the world looks at Christianity and says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. Well, first, we are because we have this huge thing we say we believe in, but we're struggling to live in it. We're always working. Even the Apostle Paul said, I have not attained yet. We, don't, we can't walk in perfect harmony with that which we believe because what we believe is so otherworldly. But we're working on it. We're working toward it. And there's forgiveness and there's grace while we wait. That's part of the answer. The other part of the answer, the reason the world thinks there's so many hypocrites in church is because there's so many people who call themselves Christians that aren't. Because we have believed in Jesus Christ, but we're not walking and living by the Spirit of Christ, which means we can't even know Jesus. We don't even see a right reflection. We look into our mirrors to see Jesus, but Jesus says you've got to look into the Spirit to see Jesus. And then when you see Jesus, you'll be able to see the Father. When you see the Father, your life will transform because you're born again. You don't live by the flesh anymore. You live by the Spirit. And the disciples scratch their head and say, Whoo, that's huge. Is there anybody then that's going to make it? And Jesus said, there's a few. There's a few that will make it. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who take it. But narrow is the gate. And there are a few who find it. Boy, wouldn't it be great if you could just be a Christian by saying, I believe that Jesus lived and not have any responsibility beyond that? Well, there's one more step, not to the Trinity, but to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is that when people see you, when the world sees you, they should see a reflection of the Holy Spirit. They should see the fruit of the Spirit. Your life should be manifested by the giftings of the Spirit. And so when people see you, they should see something of another world. The way you process, the way you emote, the way you act, the way you respond, the way you love, the way you have peace, the way you forgive, the way you exercise self-control. The world looks at that and says, what are you? And that's the first way they can see the Holy Spirit. When, the whole, when they see the Holy Spirit, who do they see? They can see Jesus. When they see Jesus, what do they see? The Father. And when they see the Father, what do they experience? Conversion. And then they learn what it looks like to walk in and be led by the Spirit. It's not of this world. In John chapter 16... Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. In John chapter 3, we know part of that. John 3, 16, 17. But in John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. Now, a lot, of, a lot of our Church of Christ friends like to believe that to be baptism. Jesus doesn't teach on baptism here. Jesus is talking about being born of woman. I'm not going to get gross, but he's talking about being born by the flesh, being born of water 
and being born of the Spirit. Unless he's born of both, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but can't tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And I love this in, in Titus chapter 3, verses 4-6. through 6, It says, But when the kindness and the love of our God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration, that's, that's through the blood of Jesus Christ, and renewing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to renew us, renews us over and over, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, it says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Verse 16, I say them, walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust of flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another. I want you to think about this. For those of you who think you can just step in your faith and out of your faith, depending on your circumstances, or how desperate life may be, or how your emotions are, you know, I'm having a pretty bad day. Lord, help me, I'm having a bad day. I'm having a great day. You know what? I'm just going to drop my guard and have fun. You know I mean? We make decisions like that, and this is not using self-control. You can't wander in and out of a right relationship with God just because of how you feel. Do you not know that when you give yourself over to your flesh, your flesh is a liar and it craves you and it will put its talons in you and keep pulling you back to the flesh because it wants to win. But when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you give yourself to the flesh, it's doing the same thing. And so when you're trying to slip in and out of those things, man, you feed the Spirit the Spirit. The Spirit will grow. But if you feed the flesh every now and then, I'm telling you, you're going to drown the Spirit out. I mean, this is silly. Think about it. I Think about being at a war. I won't use a specific war. I'll just say that you are at war with an enemy and everything that you have and everyone that you love is on the line. And this enemy, I mean, it is coming hard and fast towards you. And all of a sudden, you say, boop, time out. Whew, I just need to blow off some steam. I am so tired. And so, you know, here's some ammunition. I think I'll take that over here to my enemy and say, hey, enemy, I'm taking a day off. I'm going to take a time out of war. Here is some ammunition. I just feel really generous today. And then, you know, you, you get back here. You say, well, you know what? I think I'm going to get back. I'm going to get back to war. I mean, who would do this? But that's exactly what we do when we try to walk in the spirit and the flesh simultaneously. We're just handing the enemy ammunition against us. We would never do that. The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh so that you do not do the things that you wish. And this is so tough too because, you know, you ever seen Christians, you know, you, you, look, at, you look at Christians and you think, you know, Christians ought to be the most excited people in the whole world. They should be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kind of sense. But they're not. They walk around like chips on their shoulder and offended and Pointing her finger at everybody, and the older you get, the meaner you get. Right? You know why that is? I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you why it is. It's because we're not really living in the spirit. We've said yes to a list of beliefs that we've that we've said yes up here to, but we're not living life in the spirit. And so, all of a sudden, you find out that I have enough spirit in me that I can't feel good about sinning. I mean, I'm miserable because I really, all I want to do is commit sin. 
I mean, I want to do whatever I want to do. And I'm miserable because I had this conviction that won't let me. The Holy Spirit's just constantly nagging at me. So I'm, man, I really wish I could... Can Blaine come out to play? No, I'm not allowed. And so I walk around with the chip on my shoulder, miserable. But when you're over here living in the flesh, and you are a Christian, but you're over here and you're living it up, and you're having all kinds of fun, and you're like, man, I, I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know I, can't, I can't, really shouldn't be doing this. I know I really shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be looking at this. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have lived like that. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have. And we're miserable. We can't enjoy the flesh either. So most Christians, that's where they live. They live here miserable or they live here miserable. The best idea for the Christian is to say, you know what, I am not living here at all. I'm going to give my entire life. Every thought I have is going to go to Jesus Christ and I'm going to live obediently to Him because I want to. And I'm not living for what is my best. I'm living for what brings Him the most worship and glory. That's where the Christian ought to live. And you know what I have found is the Christians who live their life that way are loving, peaceful, joyful people in old age. Those are the people we look at and say, oh, man, I hope I can be like that. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, he says, but we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So for those of us who want the Holy Spirit to do all of the work for us, I said yes to Jesus. Now it's the Holy Spirit's job just to make me into whatever He wants me to be. And while I wait, I'll do whatever I want. Like, like the Holy Spirit's going to, okay, now you're going to walk over here and we... Start becoming these puppets all of it, like we cash in our free will. Now what Paul said to the church at Rome was, you have to set your mind on Holy Spirit setting. That's your decision to make. Every day we have to make a decision that, man, my flesh wants a lot of stuff, but I will live for Jesus Christ today. And when I can't live for Jesus Christ, I'm going to live by the Spirit, and the Spirit can do it within me. He'll give me the want to. Set your minds on things. That's a command, by the way. That's not a, if you will just say yes to me, I will set your minds. No, no, no. You have to do that. He goes on to say, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But according to the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, listen, he goes to the next part here is Romans chapter 8, verse 14. He says this. This is hard. I want, you to li- I want you to listen very, very closely to this. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons of God. If you want to know if you are a son of God, here's how you can know. Are you being led by the Spirit? Period. No justifications. No excuses. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it says that the Holy Spirit, we we don't know how to pray as we ought, and so the Holy Spirit makes utterances for us, groanings for us. That word actually is the word intercession for us. You say, wait a minute, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us? Yes, 
Well, I thought Jesus intercedes for us. Yes. Remember, God the Father sits on the throne high above us with a line drawn in the sand that we have already stepped over. But Jesus Christ has provided a pathway back into the throne room of the Father. We, we, we on board? Only, there's only one way, and Jesus is the gatekeeper and the key holder. And so I would dare say what Paul is saying to us is that because we are still flesh, we never know how to pray. I catch myself all the time praying things. I know what I want my life to look like. I know where my desires are. I know where, what, what, I, what I want. I know what I want. I know what life's supposed to look like. You know what I mean? But when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you're saying, not my will, but yours be done. But I don't know about you, but man, it is slippery right there. Right? It's slippery. Because I know that I want what God wants, but sometimes I forget that I want that. Sometimes my prayers might reflect my will more than His will. You know what I mean? Anybody? And so when I don't pray how I ought to pray, the Holy Spirit who lives in me 24-7, He knows me better than I know myself. He takes those prayers and He's like, no, that's not what He meant. No, we're not taking that. No, 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 no. No, we're going to craft this. Okay, here's your prayer. Well, that, that's not what I prayed. No, it's what you should have prayed. So when I pray, I'm going to ask you, this is a real question. When, who, who do you pray to? Note to self, never tell them it's a trick because they won't answer. Okay, so not a trick question. Who do you pray to? No, we pray to the Father, right? That's who we're worshiping. That's who we glorify is the Father. We, every prayer is to the Father. You do not pray to anyone except the Father. I pray in the Spirit. I have the Spirit of God that lives within me, but if I don't have a relationship with the Son, there's nowhere for my prayers to go because I don't have access to the throne room apart from Jesus Christ. So for me to get into the throne room across the line that I've already crossed over, that prayer has got to go to Jesus Christ first. That's my entry point. So the Holy Spirit makes a prayer for me that I should have prayed for myself and He hands it to Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus Christ also intercedes and mediates for me, which means that He takes that prayer. The Holy Spirit does not know what it feels like to be tempted. He does not know what it feels like to go through everything that I go through. He doesn't know how to emote the way I emote with a carnal nature. Jesus at least understands those emotions. and He understands the temptations. And so the Holy Spirit takes my righteous prayer, hands it to righteous Jesus, and Jesus understands that prayer so clearly Oh, he takes that prayer and he perfects it. And then he, this one's from Blaine. That's the perfect prayer, right? And you know what? The father receives that prayer and I was praying for a new truck. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm really simplifying this. When the father receives that prayer, he's like, whoa, there's so much honor and worship in that. Not my will, but yours be done. It's in Jesus' name. I think I'm going to keep that one. And he keeps it. In fact, he's kept all of them from day one. He calls them a sweet-smelling savor. You ever think about your prayers being that? So one day when we enter into the throne room, and I'm finally going to be able to have a personal relationship with the Father, 
in the Spirit, through the Son, to the Father. And He's going to release all of those prayers that I have prayed over the decades of my life. And I'm going to say, whoa. And the Father has been seeing the Son in me all along. I reflect the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reflects the Son. The Son reflects the Father. And when the Father sees me, He sees His Son. So the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us in our prayers. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, it says that God would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. One of the best ones, too, is in Philippians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says that we can actually enjoy the communion, that is, the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. We don't have to be afraid of Him. We can actually join Him in fellowship, doing what He does, and that is testifying who Jesus is. That is helping people find and follow Jesus. We're engaged in mission. We're actually doing the work with the Holy Spirit. Peter, in both 1 Peter and 2 Peter, he tells us that the Old Testament Scriptures with their prophecies came through the Holy Spirit. He is the source of all of God's truth. Jesus told His apostles that the Holy Spirit, this is also in John 14, we've already read part of it, that that He would teach them all things and guide them to all truth. There's no other way to know truth apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. No one can know the things of God apart from the Holy Spirit. Anything in here that you understand is because the Holy Spirit illuminates it to you. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What did Jesus say? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter. That's the most simple statement in Scripture. And Peter didn't come up with that without the Holy Spirit. I guess the, one of the things that I, that I want to say this morning before we get away is that not one time in Scripture is the Holy Spirit ever called it. All right? The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. Always a he. Which means that he has a personality. And he is a person. He's not an it. He's not a tool that Jesus uses. He is God. Just like Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit reflects the Son. The Son reflects the Father. And So with that very act of Him being a person, it says that He has a mind. In Romans chapter 8, verse 27, He searches the hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is. The mind of the Spirit means the, that the Spirit thinks. He also, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, talking about spiritual gifts, that the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one as He wills. The Holy Spirit has a will. He has a purpose. He has a a plan. And with that being a person, an it cannot be grieved. 
but the Holy Spirit can be grieved. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And this whole passage is a passage about how we treat one another, who we used to be, and who we are now as a ministry, as a result of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're not living, how, how we live for one another and how we live unto one another, how we forgive, how we show grace, how we live holy, if we're not doing that and call ourselves Christians, you know what we're doing? Grieving the Holy Spirit. Grieving the Holy Spirit. I've seen people, I've been pastoring a long time, and I can tell you I'm getting kind of cynical when I hear people justifying their sin by blaming the Holy Spirit for it. You've, you've heard people, people say this all the time. Uh, I've heard people say, well, if God didn't want me to do that, He wouldn't have put it in my path. You've heard that. How about this one? When people give the Holy Spirit credit for their own sin, which is what Jesus says is, uh, woe to them who call evil good and good evil. You've seen people do that. Well, God wants me to be happy and this makes me happy. Are you telling me the Holy Spirit wants you to intentionally resist holiness and obedience to His Word? Who in the world do we think we are? I'll tell you who we are. Number one, we do not have... People who are filled with the Holy Spirit can't say stuff like that. And if they can't say stuff like that, then they can't see Jesus from here. And if you can't see Jesus from here, you can't see the Father. And if you can't see the Father, you're not a believer anyway. Just think you are. He can be blasphemed. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus, and boy, this is a scary one. We want to be careful about it. But Jesus said, you can blaspheme the name of the Father. You can get forgiven for that. You can blaspheme the name of the Son. You can be forgiven for that. But if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, there is no forgiveness for that. Oh, wow. No forgiveness for that. Listen, I'm going, to exp- I'm going to explain something really quickly. For those of you who say, Pastor, you don't know the things that I've done. There's no way God could forgive me for all those things. I- Listen, I'm just going to make this really, really simple. 2,000 years ago, Jesus already satisfied your sin payment to God, the Father. Right? That, that doorway has already been made open. The-, the only reason that you are holding on to that, or only reason that you would not go to heaven is because you've rejected Jesus Christ. So you blaspheme the name of the Father, you can still be forgiven because you still got to do something with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Blaspheme the name of the Son, you can, you can be forgiven for that because you've still got the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the testimony of the Holy Spirit. But once you've reduced the ministry of the Holy Spirit to nothing, there is nothing testifying to the Father anymore. There's no way back. Unforgivable. Unforgivable. So blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the only reason a person would spend eternity in the lake of fire. Not your sin. So for those of you who are so proud to think that your sin is so much worse than everybody else, remember this, there is no sin but such is common to man. And there is no sin that Jesus Christ has not already paid the price for. Except one. And that's the sin of rejecting the testimony of the Holy Spirit. When you look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit and call the Holy Spirit a liar concerning Jesus, I do not believe that you represent the answer 
If you die in that state of rejecting the ministry of the Holy Spirit, there's no salvation. In fact, the book of Hebrews says that you are trampling underfoot the Son of God. And you are insulting the Spirit of grace. What a tremendous ministry the Holy Spirit has to us. It's to remind us of who Jesus is. When we're living in the flesh, He reminds us who Jesus is. When we're walking in the Spirit, He reminds us who Jesus is. When we're a Christian, He reminds us who Jesus is. Before we were a Christian, He was testifying to us who Jesus is. Reflecting the glory of the Son so that the Son can reflect the glory of the Father. When we say yes to one, we say yes to all, and we begin to order our lives out. That's why it is so important how we live, because the world is looking to you to be the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Looking for the fruit, looking for the gifts. When we claim Christ but live like the devil, we've made a complete perversion of everything that God stands for and wants for us. There's not one reason to stay apart from the Holy Spirit. Everything that He wants for us is where we'll find our ultimate fulfillment. Every reason that we say no is so that we can say yes to something lesser. Thinking that it will satisfy us in a way that Jesus promised He would. So, when we say we believe in the Holy Spirit... We believe in who He is. We believe in what He does. We believe in how He does it through gifts and through fruit. So I encourage you this morning, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, know, know this. Today is the day to do that. Because the Word of God says that the Holy Spirit will not always strive with man. The more you say no, the easier it is to say no. And He will eventually harden your heart And you can't respond at all. So if today there's an inkling, if there's just a little warmth, if there's just something going on in your mind right now saying, one day I will, when this thing happens I will, when, 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 know this, that may never come. But if you're thinking it right now, it's not too late. I do not want to scare you into the kingdom. I do not want to scare you into making a decision, but I want you to understand fully this morning what you're saying no to. So I want to encourage you to walk in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, so that you may fulfill the greatest glory for God the Father for all eternity. Let's go to Him in prayer. Lord, we love You and we thank You. We could have been left all alone left to figure it out on our own determine truth on our own determine which rules we want to obey maybe they'd be the right ones but in your goodness you have given us a great gift of yourself of your son and of your spirit so Lord I pray that this morning while, while we still have a chance while we still have the opportunity. I pray today we would surrender and submit to the ministry of the Spirit and begin a process of learning fruit and holiness. 
In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This morning, if, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and you may not even know what to do with it, but you know you're not where you're supposed to be, you know your life does not reflect that of Christ. And so I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will minister to you in such a way that you'll know what to do. And the first thing for you to do is to give your life entirely to the will of God the Father. And to begin walk according to His will for your life. And when you can't do it, He does it through you. When you don't know what to pray, He prays. When you don't know how to forgive, He forgives. When you don't know how to show grace, He gives grace. When you don't know how to love, He loves. When you're out of hope, He has hope. When you have nothing to be joyful over, He'll put joy in you. Everything you're looking for is found right in the center of walking in the Spirit. So I want to encourage you this morning. There's no risk, only reward. Why don't you come and find Jesus this morning? If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.